Welcome to Tax Justice Warriors, a podcast that celebrates the work of low-income taxpayer clinics and talks about issues related to tax news. I'm your host, Omid Faruzi, staff attorney at Philadelphia Legal Assistance Taxpayer Support Clinic. Well, welcome everybody. So today we're going to be talking about an issue that I have gained a lot of expertise on, and that is the issue of worker misclassification. So to give some background here, when I first started at Philadelphia Legal Assistance as an attorney in 2018, I started as a ABA tax section Brunswick Fellow, and I recommend that folks check out the American Bar Association tax section Brunswick Fellowship for yourself or for young lawyers who you mentor who might be interested in starting a career in tax, specifically in the public service tax section. So this is something that uh, has become an issue that's near and dear to my heart, having represented now dozens of workers who have been affected by this. The fellowship was a two-year fellowship where the focus of it was remedying this issue of misclassification. And I continue to focus on this issue as an attorney. So, so many of my clients have been affected by this. And over the years, I've done many CLEs. I've worked on projects that have been related to community education and outreach on this issue. We've got a whole page on our website at phillalegal.org about this issue and resources about misclassification. And I even am the author of the chapter on addressing an individual taxpayer's worker classification for the ABA tax sections effectively representing your client before the IRS practitioner manual. So I wanted to give other practitioners here some background on this as well because a lot of my colleagues throughout the low-income taxpayer clinic community in the country reach out to me with questions about this issue and how to best approach it. So I wanted to give a detailed outlook here today on how you go about addressing when a individual taxpayer is misclassified by their employer as an independent contractor. So what is misclassification? Well, misclassification is when your employer wrongly gives you a 1099 and does not withhold taxes from your pay when you really are an employee who should be receiving a W-2. Misclassification is when your employer wrongly calls you an independent contractor or a self-employed person when the reality is is that you're an employee who works for a supervisor or entity. The consequence of misclassification is that then you owe double the amount of Social Security and Medicare taxes that you otherwise would owe, and you don't receive any of the benefits, rights, and privileges that employees are eligible for in the United States. Misclassification, of course, is a tax issue at its core because the fact of the matter is is that when you are classified as an employee correctly, Like I am, for example, I get a W-2, I have taxes withheld from my paychecks. Your employer withholds taxes from your pay, and that includes Social Security and Medicare taxes. So 7.65% is the employee share of Social Security and Medicare tax. 6.2% of that 
is Social Security. 1.45% of that is Medicare. That equals 7.65%. That's withheld from your pay. The other 7.65% comes from your employer from their coffers, from their revenue, to equal a total 15.3% that is withheld for Social Security and Medicare. But only half of that, 7.65, is actually taken out of your paycheck. Now, when you're self-employed or you're an independent contractor, you have to pay all of that 15.3% self-employment tax on your own. You do have to make estimated tax payments quarterly, much like employees have taxes withheld from their pay over time during the course of a year. But you owe that entire 15.3%. So when you are misclassified as an independent contractor, as a 1099 worker, what happens is that you end up owing that entire 15.3% self-employment tax when really you should only have to owe 7.65% or half that amount because in reality you're an employee. A good example of how this works is an example that I use a lot with law students when I'm doing trainings on misclassification. And it's an example that you will recognize if you are a fan of The Office, and I'm a native of the Scranton, Pennsylvania area, so of course I like to use this example, which is that let's say that Dwight is assistant to the regional manager, Michael, and Michael uh, really is his boss. He establishes his pay, he establishes his schedule, he assigns him on where and when to do his tasks, Dwight works full-time in the office, uh, but then when it comes time to tax time, Michael gives Dwight a Form 1099-NEC, NEC standing for Non-Employee Compensation, and that 1099-NEC lists on it $10,000 of non-employee compensation. Now, Dwight would say, Michael, how could you do this? Well, what is the event that's happened here. What's happened here is that Dwight, the facts show here, really was an employee. He worked for a supervisor who set the terms and conditions of his job and Dwight worked under the direction and control of Michael and the larger Dunder Mifflin branch. Now what can Dwight do to address this? Well, first of all, if he doesn't do anything to address it, he's going to end up owing the self-employment tax, which 15.3% of $10,000 is $1,530. He'll owe uh, overall uh, a little bit less because there's like a very tiny break that they give. It's really actually 15.3% of 92.35% of your net income. But let's just say it's around 1500 Well, if he challenges his misclassification though and files a form SS8 with the IRS SS8 unit, he can assure that on his tax return, he only has to pay employee share of Social Security and Medicare taxes, by the way, otherwise known as FICA taxes. Uh, and 7.65% is a lot better because in this case, you're looking at $765 in tax that he'll owe in employment taxes there instead of about $1,500. So what what he has to do is he has to file a form SS8 to challenge his misclassification. So when you have a client or taxpayer who gets a form 1099 NEC, or even if they're paid in cash, frankly, 
off the books under the table, also a form of misclassification. You have to file a form SS8. That's the direct way by which you can challenge 1099 status. The form SS8 is a four-page form that you submit to the IRS SS8 unit. The questions on it relate to behavioral control, financial control, what the relationship of the parties was like when they were contemplating this kind of relationship. And the questions get back to these 20 factors. There's a 20-factor test that the IRS uses from Revenue Ruling 8741. And those tests, those, those factors determine whether or not someone's an employee or an independent contractor. No single factor is controlling or dispositive, but it's a balancing test based on a totality of the circumstances. It gets down to things like, did you have instructions in your job? Did you have a supervisor? Did you have full-time work required? Did you work in an office or a factory? Did you have investment in the facilities? Did they have the right to discharge you? Did, did you work by the hour? Uh, who set your pay? Who set your schedule? These are all among the 20 factors. And it should be noted that the main overriding thing here is the degree of control. Even if they had the right to control how you did your work, that is strongly indicative of employer-employee status, of an employer-employee relationship. If they controlled the methods and the means by which you did your work, then in all likelihood, you are an employee. The IRS uses the common law definition of an employment tied here together with the 20-factor test from 8741, Revenue Ruling 8741 there is, that is, excuse me. And you can also use uh, tax court uh, precedent that uh, often has been helpful in these cases in terms of establishing what are the important criteria that you ought to look for. And these are the questions that the SSA gets to in terms of, did you work under a written agreement? Did you have supervision? Did you have training and instruction? Uh, who provided you with your supplies and tools and materials? And it should be noted, by the way, that I have clients who have said that they received an independent contractor agreement. And so the impression or understanding is that they must be independent contractors. But what I tell them is that that doesn't mean that you are actually an independent contractor. Just because they said that you're an independent contractor doesn't mean that it's actually so. What matters are the details and facts of your job and, and how it relates back to the law here that determines who is an employee and an independent contractor. So uh, that is also, in fact, something that can be evidence because the independent contractor agreements will include language that establishes terms and expectations and conditions of the job. I've even seen agreements that have non-compete language in there, which itself is strongly indicative of an employer relationship. So when you file the SS-8 and make sure you fill it out completely NA or not applicable or none when the questions call for it, uh, and you should follow the SS-8 instructions on the IRS website. You then file the SS-8 separate from your return. I usually include a cover letter and send it certified mail to the SS-8 unit in Holtzville, New York. The address is up on the IRS website, again, on the SS-8 instructions. And then 
pursuant to filing that form, you have the right to list your misclassification income as wages, as employee wages on your tax return. Now, it should be noted that the employer will find out that you filed an SS-8. So it is not a totally anonymous and confidential process. Therefore, taxpayers, workers should be advised of this because they may be concerned about going against their employer. Now, I always tell people that if their employer retaliates against them, we are prepared to represent them in an anti-retaliation lawsuit. There are protections generally under the Fair Labor Standards Act there and potentially in state laws, including in Pennsylvania, where you have a cause of action for discriminatory firing against public policy. But also the Taxpayer First Act, a federal law signed in 2019, includes a whistleblower protection for when you report someone for not paying their full share of tax, which essentially is what an SS-8 is. And if someone retaliates against you for that, then you have a possible cause of action under that law. So that's what I advise people. But they should be aware of this because what happens is that the employer will get a blank SS-8 that they'll have to fill out and respond with their version of the facts. And then the IRS SS-8 unit will compare both, analyze them, and issue a determination based upon an analysis of the law and the facts. And it usually takes a very long time to get a determination these days. Now, if the employer did not respond, the IRS SS-8 unit will issue a ruling or advisory letter that will tell you how you should treat the income on your return. Now, also, I should say, by the way, you don't need to wait for that determination or ruling. You can list your income as wages on the return pursuant to just having filed the SS-8. This is something that the IRS SS-8 says itself in its instructions that do not wait to file your tax return, especially if, you, especially if you are cutting up against a deadline or a statute of limitations, importantly. Don't delay in filing your return. You can list the income as wages pursuant to filing the SS-8. But make sure when you file your tax return and you're doing this, that you include a Form 8919 where you account for the employee share of Social Security and Medicare taxes and attach that to your tax return, which you submit that tax return separately from the SSA unit, and you submit it to the place where you would submit the IRS tax return for processing. And when you get a, a W-2 and a 1099, I should say, which happens often, uh, more often than you would think, in fact, if you get a W-2 and a 1099 from the same employer, and it's not like the 1099 was for actual independent contractor work, that is a place where you don't even have to do an SS-8. You can just list the 1099 income as wages on the return with an 8919 attached to it in which you account for the income. So it should be noted too that on the 8919 form, you'll see the different reason codes for what posture you have there in filing the return challenging the misclassification because there's a reason code for you filed an SS-8 and you haven't received a reply. You have gotten an SS-8 determination or ruling that you're an employee. You received some other kind of correspondence that said you were an employee. You uh, got a W-2 and a 1099 in the same year and you're listing the 1099 as wages on the return. So there are different reason codes there to 
establish why you're including a Form 8919, which accounts, again, for the employee share of Social Security and Medicare taxes on your return. Now, I have done many of these returns. Even though low-income taxpayer clinics generally are not tax preparation services, this is an area that is within scope for us because it relates to a controversy in terms of how much is the correct amount of tax that you should owe. It, of course, gets back to one of the core tenets of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, which is the right to only owe the correct amount of tax. The fact of the matter is, is that if you did nothing, if you didn't challenge your misclassification, the assumption on the part of the IRS, the assumption on the part of a tax preparer, without knowing further facts here, is that in fact you were actually an independent contractor. And there's a risk that if you don't file a return, that ultimately the IRS will file a substitute for return, an SFR that is, listing the income as self-employment income, and thus you would owe more tax than you should. So it is a true controversy issue. It is a true justice issue, of course, as well, because you have disparate bargaining power here between employers and employees. And often employers are doing this, frankly, with a degree of intentionality where they are trying to actually pay less tax and they're trying to avoid costs that come with having people as employees. And they're basically shifting that burden to two workers. Now, this is something also that we've ended up having to do a lot of returns for because the Form 8919 and the Form SS8 itself, for that matter, are out of scope for volunteer income tax assistance sites, for VITAs, V-I-T-A. And that's in the publication that they have as well, where it clearly says that 8919 is out of scope. Now, that means that even though we often send our clients to VITA sites, free tax preparation sites, staffed by IRS certified volunteers, we end up having to do the returns on the misclassification side. So though, again, many of the issues that we send people to VITA sites for, they can handle, misclassification is one that's actually specifically out of scope for them. So that's something that you should be aware of, that this is something where you need to know how to do the tax return. And don't forget as well that you have to file state and local returns often in these situations, depending on the jurisdiction you're in. At least here in Pennsylvania, uh, you have a 3.07% state income tax, and you have a Philadelphia city wage tax in Philadelphia, and that's about 37 to 3.8% roughly. And this is also something that is very unfortunate for workers when they're misclassified, because when you are misclassified, the taxes are not taken out, which means state and local tax is also not withheld. And so, you know, when I get a W-2, all of my state income tax has been withheld by my employer. And my city wage tax also has been withheld by my employer. But when you're self-employed, you have to pay all of that tax yourself out of pocket. And this can be particularly frustrating here for workers who are misclassified as independent contractors. If you're really 
truly fully an employee, you may not have expenses even that you can claim on a state or local return to bring down your uh, to bring down your net income to the extent that your state or local jurisdiction allows you to claim unreimbursed employee expenses. So you're going to owe a lot of tax, and this is something that really, therefore, misclassification has no effect on, at least in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, in the sense that there's no tax impact. Uh, in that you still owe the same share of tax that you would otherwise, but you're owing it after the fact, out of pocket, which, of course, is very burdensome for low-income people, as is the fact that you're going to owe you know, double the amount of Social Security and Medicare tax that you would otherwise owe if you didn't challenge your misclassification. And even if you did, frankly, the 7.65% employee share of FICA tax is a lot to pay out of pocket after the fact. Now, yes, you should have been making estimated tax payments, perhaps, but you often people do not know about this, and uh, their employers are not telling them about this, and also, uh, you know, frankly, they're employees, so their taxes should have been withheld anyway, uh, and they would have owed it over the course of the year anyway. And we know that the Social Security and Medicare tax is a regressive tax because there's a payroll tax cap on it. Um, it's under 200000 Of course, it's adjusted for inflation, but still means that if you're very, very wealthy, a lot of your income is not even subject to Social Security and Medicare tax, and low-income folks end up paying a, a chunk of it. And, and yes, uh, you know it goes towards ultimately Social Security benefits, which can have a slightly progressive benefit structure. But here's another thing that you should think of here. When you're misclassified or you're paid in cash, you have to file a return in order to get credit for Social Security because there's no way that they will know that you have any kind of income for which tax for Social Security was withheld. When you get a W-2 and Social Security taxes withheld, that means that it's going to be on the books, basically. You don't necessarily need to file a return for it to be on the books for Social Security. But when you get 1099 or get cash income, you got to file a return so that that income will count towards your Social Security earnings ultimately. And generally, you have three years from the time that the return would have been due to file it to get credit for Social Security, although there does appear to be some exception if wages were not uh, not accounted for and you had a, a missing entry of wages. And arguably, when you're misclassified, you know that is wages that you're actually getting paid as an employee. So that might be actionable under that exception. But that's another way that this issue affects people is they don't get automatic social security credit when they initially are paid in cash or 1099. So taking a step back though, from all of this, you know, this is an issue that is widespread. This is something that affects people in so many industries, construction, trucking, Home healthcare work is one where I've seen a lot of misclassification. Staffing agencies, clerical workers, and of course, gig economy workers. You've got all kinds of controversies across the country related to Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Instacart, all of these drivers, Postmates. These are all companies where you have a lot of control that that firm has over you uh, and you provide them with a lot of information about your uh, your demographics, your 
who you're picking up, what food you're dropping off, etc., etc. You could even be kicked off some of these apps, depending on the facts. And so, in some states, like California notably, and in New Jersey, there has been more of an effort to have more employee-friendly standards, the so-called ABC test. And in California, it's an ongoing issue because they had a referendum, Proposition 22, that undid the ABC test when it came to gig drivers, but still included some enhanced benefits for them. Now that's being litigated in court as to whether that was even constitutional under the state constitution there. But even so, generally, this issue is one that is getting political controversy attached to it at the federal level, too, because right now, just days ago, actually, the National Labor Relations Board uh, brought forth a ruling that has a more employee-friendly standard for independent contractor versus employees related to a case that stemmed from the Atlanta Opera. Uh, And then the Department of Labor, the Federal Department of Labor, is soon to promulgate a rule for which that was open for public comment recently that also is expected to have a more employee-friendly totality of the circumstances standard in terms of how they view employee versus independent contractor status. And in fact, there's a memorandum of understanding between the U.S. Department of Labor and the IRS to coordinate on employee definitions and on misclassification. And it's, it's become a political issue uh, in the confirmation fight over President Biden's nominee for Labor Secretary, Julie Su, because she used to run California's Labor Department, where she oversaw the implementation of the AB5 law that enacted this ABC test that was more employee friendly. And so you have a lot of stakeholders here because you have employers who uh, are engaging in 1099ing workers, again, often with intentionality, I see, uh, where they are intentionally not withholding tax and they're depriving workers of benefits like minimum wage, overtime, the right to collectively bargain and unionize for better wages and working conditions, Family Medical Leave Act protections, all things that you would get as employees, but that you wouldn't get as an independent contractor. And that way they're saving costs and they are avoiding paying their fair share, frankly. And that's caused a massive tax gap that has been written about that is part of the shortfall of revenue that we've seen. And that affects not only the federal government, but states and localities as well. And on the other side, then you've got workers who are being deprived of these benefits, who then end up having to pay more tax than they should, who often, you know, I see particularly home health care workers working 50, 60, 70 hour weeks and not properly being paid overtime, not being paid time and a half for the work that they do because their employers are wrongly giving them 1099s and referring to them as independent contractors, even though they are really employees. And sometimes they even operate under so-called non-compete agreements, even though they supposedly have so-called flexibility because they are being treated tax-wise incorrectly as independent contractors. So this is really at its core a justice issue and something that we see throughout not only our state, Pennsylvania, where we have about Two, over 200, close to 300,000 workers misclassified a year, according to the Pennsylvania Misclassification Task Force, where I provided some testimony and I had clients who provided testimony as well. But you also see it across the country 
in so many industries. Uh, and it, it really is a form of wage theft, arguably, because you are not giving people protections of minimum wage and overtime and unionization that they're entitled to uh, as employees. So it's something that uh, we also see, by the way, that is not just tax issue, not just a tax issue, but it's an unemployment issue and an employment law issue too. Because when you're 1099, the income doesn't count as wages on a notice of financial determination here in Pennsylvania, and then you don't get unemployment compensation because of that if you're laid off from that job, let's say, and then you apply for unemployment. So then you have to appeal that within 15 days and say that you were misclassified and then have a hearing where they determine whether or not you were really an employee or not. So it's something you'd have to actively fight uh, there. And, and and that's something, by the way, the Unemployment Compensation Unit of Philadelphia Legal Assistance does a fantastic job led by my wonderful colleague, Julia Simon Michelle, one of the best lawyers in the country. They do a great job of addressing that issue. And then... You know, we've got clients who they were misclassified, so I help them on the tax side. Unemployment unit of Philadelphia Legal Assistance helps them on the unemployment side. And then we refer them to the employment unit at Community Legal Services of Philadelphia or another wage and hour lawyer to help them when they're being denied overtime or they're not being denied, uh, or excuse me, they are being denied proper wages or they were their employer retaliated against them in some way. So, you know, the, the only other things I wanted to address here are just that, uh, you know, people may be concerned about this because, well, the SS8 is not a confidential or anonymous uh, process because your employer will find out that you filed one. Well, you can always file a 211 whistleblower form or a 3949A information referral that's totally confidential, but the only direct way to to challenge your misclassification for tax purposes is filing an SS-8. And also consider as well, there's a federal law, 26 U.S.C. section 7434, which says that it's fraudulent filing of an information return uh, when you fraudulently file a 1099 or W-2 and misreport someone's wages intentionally and that could be something where the worker has a cause of action of up to five thousand dollars of damages with the six-year statute of limitations now that clearly applies to situations where for example an employer intentionally fraudulently wrote that you got fifty thousand dollars in the 1099 when it really was ten thousand dollars that you got and so that is something that is within scope but it's less clear at least in the case law so far but an argument could be made that pure misclassification, even if the income is correct, uh, is actionable under that law. The case law has mostly been negative ever since the 2016 Eastern District of Virginia decision in Liveret, but there have been some recent cases in Florida and district court that have been somewhat more favorable in terms of the disposition of them, and it remains to be seen whether or not pure misclassification could be actionable, at least in terms of the precedent from circuit courts where this issue has not been addressed yet as of the time of this recording in June of 2023. So that's something I've actually written about as well. And so that gets to the last thing I wanted to mention here, which is that if you have further questions about this, if, if this is something that you have dealt with in your work, please 
check out our resources at phillalegal.org. We have a page on worker misclassification specifically. I've written about this issue for Procedurally Taxing, procedurallytaxing.com. Honestly, if you just Google Omid Farouzi misclassification, a whole bunch of stuff will come up, including YouTube video trainings and interviews I've done about this. And even a poster that we worked on at Philadelphia Legal Assistance with the Center for Urban Pedagogy uh, at welcometocupcup.org. You can find it there. And I'll put a lot of these resources in the show notes as well so people can check them out if they are interested. So this is an issue, again, that is near and dear to my heart that affects so many workers across this country. And that is a real tax and justice issue and one that you absolutely need to be aware of in your practice. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Tax Justice Warriors. You can visit our website at taxjusticewarriors.com. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. The views expressed on this podcast are not official opinions of the IRS, the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program, or the employers or people who spoke on this program. Your tax situation is unique, so do not take the statements on this program as legal advice. Consult with your tax professional if you seek specific advice. There are now three things that are certain in life. Death, taxes, and your subscription to the Tax Justice Warriors podcast.